Hi, I'm Sean. I'm Shane. And welcome to our podcast, Film Class, in which every week we discuss a different film, television program, or other form of popular culture that is concerned with teaching and teachers and education. I'm a newly qualified English teacher. And I am a not-so-newly qualified science teacher. We'd love to hear your opinions on the films that we discuss as well, so please do find us on Twitter at FilmClassPod and the same handle on Instagram. So, this week's film, Clueless. Clueless. Classic. Absolute 90s classic. It's like a souffle of a film, it's just a delight. A light, gentle delight. I've never had a souffle. (laughs) Do you know, have I ever actually in a souffle? I'm I'm now doubting myself, have I? Let me change that. It's like a creme brulee of a film. You know, it's just light, airy. Are you sure you've had a creme brulee? I've definitely had a creme brulee. Okay. <laughs> I don't think um, I've had a creme brulee either. Really? I feel like my, my taste buds aren't educated. This evening we're having a creme brulee. Oh, are we? Yeah, that's what we're doing. <laughs> this film is still really popular, has never really gone out of popularity, and is still, I think, widely seen as like one of the best teen films ever. And I do think a large part of that is just because I do think Cher is a great protagonist. She's very likeable. She comes across as a bit of an airhead, but she's not. But that's what I like about it, because you would think from the title, Clueless, that the title is mocking her, right? And mocking the idea of this teenage girl who's just, who is a bit of an airhead and doesn't quite understand things. But actually, the film is on her side and it doesn't laugh at her, it laughs with her. And I think that's very refreshing, Mm. because I think often teenage girls are portrayed in a way that is is mocking and Mm. they're seen as risible figures. And there's pinches of that in the film, but ultimately... She's the hero of the film, right? She has a lot of qualities you admire and respect. So, um, so the first time we see her in a classroom setting, mm-hmm. it's in debate class. Now, first of all, can we talk about the fact that in America, in their curriculum, they have debate class? Yes, which I am a big fan of. I'm part of debate mode in my Would school. you like to see it in our curriculum? I'd love to see it in our school. Who, who would study it? I mean, I do debates all the time in history, for example, when I was mm-hmm. teaching history. You can very easily do it in English. We do it in science. Yeah, so if you think about it, what subjects can't you do debate in? So do we need a specific lesson for it, or is it good enough, or should we make sure and endeavour to make sure every subject includes some sort of debate in their lessons? I think you're probably right that we probably probably could just think about embedding it in our actual lessons, I suppose, thinking mm-hmm. about it. I don't think there would be anything wrong with having it as a subject, because you're right, it seems like an actual subject they study here, doesn't mm-hmm. it? Because she gets a grade separate. in it, doesn't she? She does get a grade in it. Um, but yeah, I do think that's refreshing about it, that... Dangerous Minds is, as we spoke about, in a very specific mid-90s context of super predators and welfare queens. This is very much about the valley girl, right? The idea of the valley girl became like a big cultural stereotype at the time, which was Mm -hmm. this idea of this very affluent, white, middle-class girl who spoke in that very specific way, who was just seen as a bit of a joke, right? Like a a joke of a person. And this film really celebrates her, I think, in all the Mm. kind of silliness, but also recognises... The, her good qualities. Yeah, it's her ex stepbrother who basically calls her out and says you're shallow and you never do anything for anyone. Yeah, else. but what? And but she actually, goes out of her way to be. But he's wrong. That's the yeah, point. Exactly. He's wrong. And She's the whole not film moves forward, proving him wrong. Doesn't yeah, it? absolutely. And he realizes the error of his ways. That he's been very dismissive and patronizing because she's a sixteen-year-old girl, and the world is always patronizing towards teenage girls and thinks everything they do is stupid and everything that is associated with teenage girls is always seen as less than right. Mm. I'm sure you know this is still a boy band fan, <laughs> lifelong. I'm sure you get a lot of stick with that because who's the fan base of boy bands generally? Teenage girls, right? It's mm. like the things that teenage girls enjoy is always seen as less than. I prefer to call them these days man bands. Man bands. I do apologise to Westlife et al. They are man bands. Um, 
So yeah, so we have Cher. She's at Bronson Alcott High School. She lives in Beverly Hills, a very affluent area in Los Angeles. Now, the thing that I always think about when I think of this film is when we open, she's getting dressed and she has that amazing 90s software thing. Can I just say, blatant lies, because she had a touch screen computer. The wealthier time travellers, they live 10 years in the future. Very much so. <laughs> she was picking her outfit and she was touching the screen and she was dragging dropping them like you would on an iPhone. I thought iPhones were cutting edge as far as touch screens go. <laughs> How did she manage to get hold of one back in 1995? <laughs> the thing that I enjoy about that sequence is like she has the white, that famous outfit of her, sorry, the yellow blazer and skirt. Yeah. And she has a yellow blazer and she's like, Omin and I are going through and then just finds the clearly matching skirt. Like, did she really need the software to identify <laughs> this outfit? Yeah. I just like, did she, this is really superfluous, but okay. So she goes to school and the, the debate you raised, did you notice, was should all oppressed people be allowed refuge in America? Mm-hmm. A very serious topic. Yeah, and she, she relates it to a dinner party. Yeah, which I... Okay, so her teacher is clearly... So her teacher, the first teacher is Mr. Hall. He seems kind of baffled by how she's talking. She uses like a lot. It's the typical Valley Girl speak, right? She uses a lot of like and it seems very superficial. And she says, you know, we should... She's not articulate, is she? No, she's not articulate in the way kids are supposed to be articulate. But the analogy, I think, actually does work. And it's a supportive analogy in which she says, she concludes, we could totally party with the Haitians. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> what a great and political actually, slogan. And actually, the more the merrier, because they, originally they didn't RSVP, she wasn't expecting them to turn up. And so, you know, when they do turn up, they end up having like a, a little party in the kitchen. It's not a sit-down dinner anymore, but it's so much more fun than if it was just a sit-down dinner. And actually, the turn of events is actually better for all. Thus proving that we should let refugees into the country. So she's she, she somehow, in her very own way, makes a very good point. She does. And I think it does not say RSVP on the Statue of Liberty is quite a stirring conclusion. Exactly. And actually, I, I think about this a lot as an English teacher. You have to kind of fo- work out what you focus on. I think the best thing to focus on is the content of the ideas. You can always sculpt the articulation later. And I think if you over-focus on grammar and how someone's articulating themselves... You can put people off English or or articulate themselves because they feel like they're being their speech is being policed, right? Absolutely. And actually, if you look at the core of her idea, it's an, an analogy that she makes that's original and makes sense. And I don't mm. think he commends her enough for that. He just brushes it aside. I mean, Mr. Hall, I have to say in this scene, there's a lot of I had a lot of problems with his teaching because not only does he not really give her any feedback, which I thought initially was he was going to give Amber, who's her opponent, some space to respond, and Amber completely brushes it off. She refuses to. She's like, "How can I respond to that? It's ridiculous." sits back down and he lets it go. He doesn't say anything. He doesn't say, oh, hold on. Or, or try and stimulate someone else maybe and get them to... He doesn't engage in anything. He doesn't give share any feedback on what she says other than just looking at her like she's an idiot. He doesn't get anyone else to respond and that's the end of the lesson. So there can be that bad habit that some teachers get into whereby they a don't give immediate feedback which we know from research says it's more valuable than written feedback Mm -hmm. so um, you giving instant feedback verbally to a a student is a lot more impactful on their progress than if you were to take their books in and mark every single page Um, and there's research that provides evidence for that so you're right you know the fact that he doesn't give her any immediate feedback is already hindering her progress maybe that's why later on we see that she only gets a c 
He's very dismissive. He definitely seems like one of those teachers that has been teaching for too long, past where he found it enjoyable and is now just biding his time to retirement. And unfortunately, I certainly have seen those kind of teachers in my own educational experience as well as my own teaching experience. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't do anything for student morale and certainly doesn't do anything for staff morale. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, another sort of visual gag that I really like in the film, did you notice in the classroom, every single kid is doing anything other than listen to the debate. Yeah, or very got- bored. That that typical scene that we've discussed in the past. Mm-hmm. You know, the kids are bored. They just don't aren't engaged. But not even bored. You've got kids on headphones. You've got kids looking at their cell phones. You've got one mm-hmm. girl doing her makeup, makeup. Like very overtly not paying attention. And actually, we never see Cher doing that. She always does seem engaged. And he doesn't really seem to meet her way, at her level of engagement. Mm-hmm. So you're right. She clearly does want to improve and do better in the subject. And all he says to her a little bit later when she gets her report card from him, he says her debate is unresearched, unstructured and unconvincing and slams the door in her face as if she's just supposed to work that out. She doesn't get any constructive feedback mm. whatsoever. She then is infuriated by that. She seems genuinely upset and she does the classic. This seems to have happened in every film so far, mentioning how little teachers get paid. I suck a diss. Like he earns minor ducats at a thankless job. Is <laughs> her conclusion. Mm. Although that seems maybe a little ungenerous, you can understand why she's frustrated and annoyed with him because he's not really teaching her. He's just judging her and criticising her. Mm. But then later on, I don't feel like her wanting to learn is genuine because when she gets well, the report card, she will talk about the report card. So, so she gets a C in debate, which I think is fair based on what we saw. Yep. So not um, an A student, yeah. Yeah. What would you class as an A student then? What would you have expected her to say and do to... I think she could have developed the analogy a bit further. I mean, she didn't speak for very long and she gave us that one analogy of her dad's garden party and she didn't really connect it more to... It seemed like the context was at the time Haitian immigrants. So she could have connected that a little bit more maybe and developed her argument a little bit more soundly. Mm. But I think there was definitely stuff there that, you know, was commendable. Yeah. And the fact that she'd got A's in all of her other subjects... She talks about how she, you know, she's going to have to convince now. Yes. So here we see this is a very self-confident person, right? This is not someone who needs her self-esteem being beaten up. She sees her grades as a negotiation starting point, and that she's and she's learned actually that what seems to work in school is not trying harder, but actually manipulating your teachers, and that indicates her intelligence. (laughs) She's already worked out how to game the system and she knows exactly how to manipulate each staff member to get what she wants. Are you saying being able to manipulate someone into doing something you want is intelligent? I think it indicates intelligence. Is it commendable or morally right? No, but it shows that she is intelligent. She has the social skills and the perceptiveness to know how to engage each staff member to get what she wants. And what it shows actually is a deep-seated cynicism about what school is and how it works because she doesn't ever think I should actually improve my debate skills. What she actually thinks is I need to, and it works, I need to make my teacher, Mr. Hall, happier so that he just rewards it. Because what that suggests is that actually he's always undergrading people because he is miserable and hates his job. And so basically to make him unmiserable, they realise that there is an A, Mrs. Hall. Mm -hmm. So the only way that they can think of correcting this issue is by potentially looking at the staff and seeing who they could pair Mr. Hall up with. That's a very polite way of saying what she says, which is he needs a boink fest, but there is a major bedroom. (laughs) 
Yes. That. Uh, also, of course, I did. Did you roll your eyes? Of course, the PE teacher is a lesbian. Yes. As she says in traditional, traditional cliche of Hollywood teen films, all of the teachers in this film feel like quite tragic, pathetic figures, which made me a little bit sad. Yeah. <laughs> like all the kids are so stylish and so confident and it, so charismatic. Realistically, the film is about the students it's not about teachers Absolutely. and they couldn't have strong teacher characters in this film because it would take away from what Cher is about and her experiences as a student so the focus was never on the teachers per se which I think you're absolutely right because we're seeing the world through the lens of this girl right the whole world is really being and that's why it feels so outlandish like the outfits they wear are ridiculous the mm. environment seems kind of elevated everything's so melodramatic when she gets her bad grades at the end of the world and really, you're really right. worried about getting her dad seeing it and she, she's she got X amount of time to uh-huh. fix this issue before dad sees a report card yeah but I think what you're right what that indicates is that actually when you are 15 and 16 the absolute last thing you're focusing on is your teacher <laughs> just, they are so like not important to this film whatsoever even though they're a major plot thread yeah. they are only ever tragic yeah. <laughs> like and, and actually that, that gives us a good insight of just how much effort and time and dedication we put into our lessons and our students yeah that, we're not the most important thing to them and, and that's okay that is definitely okay because our, our job is to make sure that their experience is as positive and as progressive as possible but um yeah, you're right. Teenagers are not thinking about us, are they? Yeah, I, and to be fair, the one teacher we we meet who she does seem to like and respond to is Mr. Hall's love interest. So Miss Guys, she shared does say much later in the film. She really does put a lot of work into trying to engage her students, and that actually leads to Cher becoming more socially responsible much later, right? It's Miss Geist that inspires mm. that in her. So we do see an inspirational teacher, but for the most part, it kind of seems like this is the kind of school where all the kids are so affluent and already have their early lives mapped out for them that teaching is kind of incidental here. Mm. I think the whole Miss Geist scenario, though, was a happy coincidence because she'd already had that argument with her, her ex-stepbrother, Josh, about... The fact that she's shallow, she never does anything for anyone else. So shall we talk about Josh? Because he's an interesting figure too. Oh, so the delightful Paul Rudd. He looks very young in this film, doesn't he? He looks so young now for, what, 50-odd, but then he looks he looks like a fetus in this film. I feel like his aesthetic is just exactly the nicest aesthetic that I love. Yeah. That, like, grunger, Amnesty International. Like she says at one point, she's not into the modern music of the University Station, which, like, literally, that's just my music taste. <laughs> That's just the music that I listen to. Maudlin student music. (laughs) (laughs) So are you saying that you are a younger Paul Rudd? (laughs) Okay, let's let's step that back. What's interesting is that he thinks Cher is ridiculous when actually he's ridiculous. Like Mm. he's an embarrassing, pretentious arse in the beginning of the film. He's gone to university and he thinks he's he's so left and so radical when actually he's just a rich kid who's put on an Amnesty International t-shirt and snubs his nose is... Um, well, is it stepsister? I guess she's a stepsister. Ex-stepsister. Can we just talk... This is the one part of this film that every time I watch it, it makes me wince a little bit because it just feels wrong that they have yes. a romance. <laughs> just doesn't so, feel right. Cher's dad was married to his mum. Uh-huh. They share no DNA whatsoever. Which the film very, like, spells this out to yeah. you quite a lot. So they were at one point stepbrother and stepsister, but they make it clear that it wasn't for long and that it is weird that he still hangs out with his ex-stepdad. Well, what her dad says is, her wife is temporary, but children are forever. Implying he does see him as his child, even yeah. though he's not. But then again, that's quite typical of when two people join, the in-law, son-in-law or daughter-in-law is taken on 
as an actual daughter or son. So that's not that odd. But it is it is weird because they do have a very playful sibling rivalry type of relationship at the beginning. And then it develops into some weird romance. Every time I watch it, I'm not... Like, I know it's going to happen, but it never feels right to me. It never quite clicks that this is the boy that she would really be interested in. Yeah, I did think that, like, even though I knew that she ends up with Josh in the end, for whatever reason, when I watched it this time around... I felt like she was going to end up with Elton. He's very interested in her. He makes some very good points as to why they should be together for, for the time that the film was I mean, set. he's not a very nice lad. He dumps her on the side of the road and drives off. And Only she... because she wouldn't give in to his Yeah, because he's sexually pressuring her. Like, no, he's not a very nice lad. <laughs> but no, she she was outrightly saying, no, I'm not interested in you at all. Like, mm-hmm. So he, yeah, you're right. He's not very nice. When that happens, she uses the phrase sexually assaulted. I was not expecting that because I feel the like... the time of the film. Yeah, like pre-Me Too and stuff. I feel like in so often in teen films, dicey situations like that are just kind of brushed off and mm. it's just seen as like almost funny. But the fact that she actually uses that expression, I thought was quite interesting. We've already said that this film was years ahead of its time, right? <laughs> I think this film is a bit of a... I think this one's quite timeless. It yeah. feels like a real time capsule because I think it hasn't dated because although it's extremely 90s, yeah. it's like it's in its own fairy tale land. Yeah, she's, she's very much about proving the stereotypes wrong, isn't she? Just because I'm blonde, I wear nice clothes, I like to look after myself, doesn't mean that I can't stand up in debate class and make a valid point. And she isn't stupid, that's the thing. She's inarticulate if you judge her based on the Queen's English, but she is smart and she's also a good person. She's genuinely quite conscientious or at least strives to be more conscientious. But at the same time, you're right, she does like going to the mall and hanging around with her friends and, you know, doing the fun things that teenagers do. So I think, I like the film allows her to be complex in that way. And she's also very much like, high school boys, they're not my kind of thing. They're too immature. Like, Mm -hmm. actually, with the way that she physically presents herself, you would expect her to be with the the football team captain. Yeah, well, can we just deal with the fact that this is a classic 90s thing of just ruining the self-esteem of every 15-year-old in America in the mid-90s by casting 25-year-olds as 16-year-olds? Like, that's Mm. ever going to be achievable. I mean, this one isn't the worst example of it, but I feel like Hollywood is better now about casting people that actually look like teenagers as teenagers, Mm. whereas in the 90s, you would get like 28 year olds yeah. like beautiful 28 year old models as 16 year olds you're just like why don't I look like this well I just Those looked parts. up she's 19 when she made the film about 18 19 so she's not that much older to be fair but I mean it's not just her I mean quite a few of them do look significantly older how old was Lauren Hill when she did um... she was 18 but she looks like a teenager in that film, right? Those kids actually do look so like she teenagers. So she was actually 18, but she was playing a 15, 16 year old. Well, it's not clear how old those kids are supposed to be in Sister We talk about Sister Act 2 so much in every podcast. Is, is Sister Act static out? <laughs> Definitely, though, in Dangerous Minds, Emilio looks like he's significant old. I actually looked this up. Emilio was 28 when he made that film, yeah. and Michelle Pfeiffer was like 34. The age difference between them was like nothing, even though she's supposed to be like 20 years older. I, I think the reason why Hollywood at this time, and still to a certain extent, does cast much older people as teenagers is it allows them to sexualize teenage characters in a way that would be very uncomfortable if they actually were teenagers. Mm. Like that storyline with Josh would feel really uncomfortable if Alyssa Silverstone was very clearly 16 years old. But because she looks a little bit older, I think it makes it seem a bit less creepy than it actually is. It it is uncomfortable viewing when you know that it's a child playing those particular parts because it feels almost like you are in reality subjecting them to it. Mm. Um, 
and you're watching them subjecting it to it mm. for the value of entertainment is that what we're doing to people's youth <laughs> and you're right well does. I always feel uncomfortable whenever I see any child and I guess we'll talk about this with me guys and Lindsay Lohan whenever I see a child or a teenager become famous it's like it's a ticking clock waiting for them to just disintegrate it's like it's something I think we're learning is just not good for the mental health of an individual mm. to get famous that young and get really famous that yeah. young so maybe actually it's not the worst than the cast 25-year-olds. Personally, I don't feel offended by that. When I think it's not so much about being offended. It's more that I think I just remember being, because we both grew up in sort of the mid to late 90s, right? That was, and there was a huge boom in like teen popular culture stuff. There was loads of teen films after Clueless because it was so popular. Right? Cool Intentions. Cool Intentions uh, and all the TV shows. Dawson's Creek, Buffy, yeah. Roswell, all of that stuff. Popular. There was so much of that stuff around. And everyone always looked the same. They always they were almost always white. They almost always looked very attractive and they always looked older and so I think I just remember thinking all the time like why do I have like I never saw a kid with bad skin on television ever you know it just makes you feel like this is what you should look like at this age when actually very few people look like physically developed 25 year olds with gym memberships and perfect skin when they're Mm -hmm. that age but isn't that what the media have constantly been slated for because they have consciously presented a body image that isn't realistic Mm. and so therefore that's led to lots of psychological problems and and, you know, eating disorders in, in, in teenagers. It's interesting you say that because Alyssa Silverstone has talked about, um, not so much for this film, but in Batman, the film she did after this film, where she mm. played Batgirl, um, that she was called fat a lot because she, she's consi- she was considered a heavier actress in Hollywood, which is insane because she's very slim. But the 90s, and particularly the early 2000s, the aesthetic was very skinny, wasn't it? Mm. And so because she very much was... So slightly more average mm. she and she was younger she used to get a lot of comments about her body and that she was overweight basically mm. christina ricci did as well which is why if you notice when christina ricci's in teen films she's a more normal weight and then she became extremely thin for like the rest of her career which is like what seems under every actress ever that gets famous britney murphy yeah oh yes we haven't even talked about britney murphy so we meet Cher. we meet her best mate dion who i think might have the best fashion sense in the film i like every single one of dion's outfits is on point still mm. stands the time and then we also meet Ty, who is the new girl, played by Brittany Murphy, who looks unrecognisable compared to what she became in yeah. Hollywood, which was like exactly. incredibly skinny and blonde. But, but she actually probably looks the most like a normal teenager, I would say. Yes, absolutely. And what, what strikes me as quite funny is that she dresses and looks quite nerdy, mm. but actually what comes out of her mouth is completely the opposite. Yeah. She, she's actually voicing her inner airhead in, in most of the scenes, I feel. Yeah, well, it's interesting because this is what I think Cher is an interesting character because she's the cool, popular girl, right? But she's actually quite prudish and straight-laced. Like, she doesn't... Yeah. She's not interested in any of the boys. She's not interested in sex. I love the line she says, you guys have seen how much I thought I'd give into uh, picking out shoes and they only go in my on my feed. And it's just like... <laughs> a right. moment of silence for Shane's American accent there. <laughs> okay. Sorry. <laughs> Start again. I absolutely love the line where she talks about how she takes ages to pick shoes and they only go on her feet. <laughs> Cut it out. Why do you like that line? Because she's obviously like saying, I'm waiting for the right boy and her friends are trying to ridicule about her. And she's saying, well, you know how picky I am. You know how I give everything, every last detail about me. 
um, so much thought, why would I hastily make a decision about who I sleep with? Yeah, and so another thing that I think is refreshing is that like so often, I think, especially at this time, girls are always depicted as like boy crazy, right? And I'm like, mm. does this boy like me? What does he think about me? I'm obsessed, I'm obsessed. And she gets a little bit like that with Christian, who we'll come to in a moment. But actually, she really has a sense of self that's just, what she's most focused on is her own self-improvement. She genuinely wants to be a better person. And so Ty, she takes on as she's a new girl, and she decides to take on as a bit of a, a project to mm. give her a makeover and stuff. It takes her under her wing, makes her a cool girl. Um, so in a way, she's also a teacher, which I think is interesting. This is a film about her teaching this girl how to... Be socially accepted. Exactly, how to be socially acceptable. Ty seems to be into drugs. One of the first things she says is, you know, where can I get weed? But she has very anti-drugs. I actually this is excellent advice when she says, you know, it's all all right to have, like, to smoke someone on the weekend or whatever, but you don't come to class and do that because those kids that do that, you might laugh at the moment, but actually it's just a bit embarrassing to, you know, ruin your life for it. So she seems to have quite a sensible, if slightly judgmental, view of drugs and drugs culture. But she, she decides she's going to teach Ty how to be cool, how to be popular. And she is, the first time we hear the title, she's adorably clueless. I want to talk about this, this idea that a new kid's come and she, already, she sees them as a project I mean, is it okay to be a new kid and just be yourself? I mean, I'm thinking back to the new kids that arrived halfway through a year or, you know, at the start of an academic year that wasn't year seven. I can't think back to anybody not being accepted for the way that they were. Do you know what I think the difference is, though? The, the key thing in this film, like, style in this film is everything. Style is, like, who the person is. And so the thing about Ty that everyone judges is she doesn't have style, right? Yeah. You have all these girls who clearly spend a lot of time invested in their appearance and how yeah. they are dressing themselves. You know what? I'm wrong. In year seven, I was in a particular form and I didn't click with anyone. So they moved me at the start of year eight to another form. And within that form... There was the sporty group, the popular group, the nerdy group, and then the misfits. And immediately, the popular group invited me in to be part of their group. I clearly wasn't fitting in. And they actually sat me down, and they had a mature conversation saying, your likes are quite different to ours. You might want to think about hanging out with, and then directed me in, in the direction of the nerdy group. That's so interesting that 11-year-olds were that strategic. We were 12, 13. The popular group did definitely have more of an interest of boys and and clothes and that kind of stuff. And they, you know, they they did stuff on the Saturday, whereas I didn't join them. So, you know, clearly they knew that come Monday morning, I was already at a disadvantage. And I think it made them feel bad just as much. So quite insightfully, they directed me to a group that they thought I might be more suited to. It's quite funny now that I think back to it. <laughs> but um, I didn't fit into the nerdy group, would you believe? Mm. I ended up with the Misfits. I would believe that. I was also in the Misfits. But 100%. like the Misfits, they're all still ridiculously good friends. Like They've been to each other's weddings. Because if and... you're a Misfit at school, that's a, that's a real bond. Yeah, of course. Um, I mean, we're still friends. <laughs> Not anymore. <laughs> you know, it depends if you cut out my American accent. <laughs> so yeah, so we do get the scene that I feel like is in every 90s and noughties teen film of, I'm going to orient you to all of the different social groups that exist in the school. And what I liked about this scene actually is it isn't what you see in everything, which is here are the jocks and here are the geeks and here is this. It was very specific. There is the Persian Mafia, 
the rich <laughs> Iranian kids. Mm-hmm. There's the television station kids mm-hmm. who take their television broadcast journalism jobs very seriously. But then I, I think there, there are unique films that do that. I mean, when we do 10 Things I Hate About You, they mm-hmm. do that. They've got the rest of Aryans. And so when we, when we get on to 10 Things I Hate About You, it'd be interesting to compare the groups. And it's also in the Mean Girls. They've got their own, own set they have of very, groups. Mean yeah. Girls is extremely specific. Yeah, exactly. So I um, think um, you're right. Well, I, I've generalised our ones and I think they fit more of the popular culture. Well, I guess what this film shows, this is a, an incredibly privileged school. If your groups are like the Persian Mafia who all have these fancy cars and mm-hmm. the kids who run a television station, yeah. your school's a certain social group yeah, of people. Absolutely. Ty is very impressed by them because she says they talk like grown-ups yeah. and they attribute that to being a really good school. And yet, I, did you notice when she Shay gets asked what she did at school, she just says she broke in her clogs. <laughs> so it's like, it's interesting again because there's not really much evidence this is really a good school. It's mm-hmm. more so that these are kids who are really privileged, whose parents can fund a lot of money to their education and who it's kind of a foregone conclusion will probably go to, to college or to university or whatever. Mm-hmm. So it's like, is this a good school or is it just really easy to ensure that kids like this will have good outcomes? Mm-hmm. But I think is also, so this could very easily be, like you're saying, you know, why should Thai have to learn how to be fashionable and popular and stuff? But there is also a kind of substance to it and that she's saying, saying to we're going to read one non-school book a week. I've got, I can't hear the word sporadic without, without I always think of clues whenever I hear the word sporadically. So they have the vocabulary yeah, words. Absolutely. And it, it genuinely is a project. It does seem, in, a, in a, as naive a way as it is of, we're going to improve ourselves. It's not just that I'm making you a clone of myself. In fact, it's quite the opposite. She seems most uncomfortable when Ty really does start to supersede her position. Why yeah. it seems to become a clone of her that's not really what she wants she genuinely does seem to want Ty to, to be able to fit in right she's genuinely trying to help her so she doesn't get picked on mm. and also in, in the same breath improve her right and yeah. improve herself as well it's not just that Ty has to read these books she's going to read them as well so I think it's a genuine it's entered into with a genuinely generous spirit do you think you would be friends with Cher if you went to the school no why not I think the fault would lie with me in that I would probably judge her too quickly and think that we would not have much in common or much to discuss. Mm -hmm. It would take a lot for me to get to know her and then potentially in the future become friends with her. Yeah, it's hard to imagine living on this level of a privileged existence, you Mm. know, because her world is so simple and easy mm. you know and i guess that is something that is difficult to mm. and i think the fact to. that she eventually she uses something as easy as getting mr hall and miss guys together them dating changes the mood so therefore they change her grades on her report card she takes a report card home and her dad you know congratulates her because she manipulated her way out of it right because he's a lawyer right yeah. you know in one sense that testifies to the fact that Kids like that are able to game the system in a way that a kid who doesn't have the cachet or the training that she's had would be, mm. wouldn't be able to do that. But actually, she is demonstrating a skill, right, that will be valuable in her particular social world, that may be more valuable in some aspects than actually learning her subjects, which, again, shows quite a cynical attitude towards school in this particular Beverly Hills environment where what's really valued is celebrity and money and beauty rather than, like, an actual education. Yeah. How um, did you feel about the kids being at the teacher's wedding at the end? I had questions about that as well. Yeah, so we do see... I guess it's just that, you know, they want all the characters together in a nice Yeah, do you think all of these films break certain boundaries for the sake of the entertainment, which almost normalises the fact that we don't because we we do have those clear boundaries and we know that they're unprofessional and we wouldn't do those in real life? 
Well, in Dangerous Minds, it's the teacher breaking the boundaries, isn't it? Because she feels that that's the only way she's going to be able to really help these kids. And she's shown to be right, right? Mm. She needs to really implicate herself in their life. Whereas here it's the opposite. It's the kids implicating themselves in their teachers' lives really to benefit themselves ultimately, mm. right? And I think what that indicates is, and I do think there's a truth to it, is that kids are actually very perceptive and they know when a teacher doesn't like them, for example, mm. or is being unfair to them. And they can pick up when a teacher is maybe annoyed or angry or active. And I think we forget that we tend to think of ourselves as neutral and because we're in the position of authority, right? When actually in this film, you really see that the, the whole point of the film is that she just wants to get the A in her debate class. Mm. And the only way to do it is to get Mr. Hall to be a happier person, <laughs> which kind of yeah. it made me think like, you know, you want to resist that idea of saying, no, I'm completely unbiased and I would only ever mark someone based on what their work is or whatever. But if you ask anyone, do you have a teacher that didn't like you? They're going to say yes, and they'll be able to identify. Did you have a teacher that didn't like you in school? All of them. There we go. I can think of absolutely <laughs> think of teachers who didn't like me, and I knew they didn't like me, and I, or at least that was my perception. Yeah. So it's interesting. Like we forget that I think when we become adults, I genuinely don't think I dislike kids that I teach. But sometimes you can get frustrated with certain behaviours. You just, I think, you have to be really careful about not letting that become part of the relationship that you build with that kid because Mr Hall clearly has built some pretty toxic relationships with the kids yeah. in his school and actually in that context Cher is really quite generous in that she looks at it as not as I hate him and I want to destroy his life I mean when we come to Mean Girls Katie has a very different response to a teacher yeah. responding to in a way she doesn't like and giving her a bad grade right she's quite vindictive whereas in this one Cher actually takes it from a okay well what about if I take this approach and she actually manipulates them in a way that teachers often try and manipulate students, right? Mm. Well, what if I actually give him a lot of positive kind of things in his life that might actually make his response to me more... Yeah. And that's quite perceptive for a 15, 16 Absolutely. year old, isn't it? Like, I, th I think there have been occasions when kids have said, Miss, are you okay? Because, like, the mood and the reflection has been very different. I remember this one particular group who followed the most nightmare year eight group. And I always used to feel exasperated after this year eight group. And my class who I had straight after that, they noticed, they said, Miss, on a Wednesday afternoon, you are so different to Monday morning. And were they, are they right? Are you different? And it was afternoon? Wednesday afternoons before their lesson, I would have this year eight group that left me exasperated. And I felt horrible, to be honest, once they pointed it out that they'd noticed, because clearly I'd let those year eights affect my teaching and my mood with the following class. So not only was one class disadvantaged from it all, the following class was disadvantaged by it. And, you know, I learned a lot from that particular experience. Yeah. We're human beings, ultimately, you know. And I guess the difference is with Mr. Hall, he doesn't seem to have any issues, in the class, other than the fact that the kids are disengaged because he's not engaging them. I don't think American films, or any films, to be honest, display proper low-level classroom behaviour until the invention of... Uh, educating Yorkshire and the likes, where we actually had proper cameras in proper classrooms that properly depicted what low-level behavioural issues are, as well as the big ones. It's, I think you're right. It's a difficult thing to wrap a neat narrative around. Especially because they want it to be entertaining. Yeah. Right? No one's going to find it entertaining that Mr Jones has been telling the same kid off three times and giving <laughs> them warning, going through the, the motions and, you know, giving them sanctions or corrections or detentions and following it through with head of you. No one finds that entertaining until the likes of Educating Yorkshire. And, and if they did that in a film... 
in between a random storyline, I doubt people would find it entertaining. Yeah, you're right. But I guess the absence of that consideration can often create these weird perceptions of what teachers and teaching are. Yeah, and, uh, you know, the number of people that say to me that the job is easy, not because of the holidays, that's a different issue in itself, but because what they've seen in the media and what they've seen through films is that someone rocks up, they get the kids to turn to a certain page in their textbooks, they answer a few questions, the bell rings, lesson's over, and there's none, none of that planning stage, none of that pastoral stage, and a lot of people forget their own experiences and they just base it on what they've seen in the film. Yeah, it either glorifies it or it cheapens it, and I guess because most media that we're going to be talking about, I guess, that are set in schools is always from a teenage perspective, and the presumption in a lot of these films is just that kids find school boring, which I actually don't think is true. I think some school is boring. Do you think if we if we put that out, if we flip the narrative, if we put out more films of kids being engaged in education, the more Hermione Grangers of the world, and putting them out and in, in and put those in kids' faces regularly, that school is cool and learning is fantastic and knowledge is power and all of those kind of things, without having all the negativity that goes with it. Like when we discussed Dangerous Mind, it was just a struggle to, at the beginning to get them to change their mind about education, right? Why don't we make films that show, it, show thing, it in a different light? Yeah, and I guess what does what do every teacher talk about as the best part of the job is the light bulb moment, right, where they see kids learning and, mm. and understanding concepts. And actually, for all the, the thoughts you discussed with it, I do think Dangerous Minds does do a quite a good job of showing the, that moment and showing when kids suddenly turn on, you mm. know, when they have the Dylan lesson and they start to actually become engaged and understand, they can actually understand poetry and engage with it and mm. relate to it. Mm. And I get, so it is absolutely possible to show that and to re- represent it. I guess it just depends on what the energy of the, the film is and what it really, mm. like this film, it, it, it feels like this film, school is just a backdrop to everything that's actually real or interesting about these kids' lives, right? Mm. School is just a backdrop and it's not really feel interesting like it's, as, as funny as it is, I think it is more realistic. I think it, the, 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 the kind of teachers that they've got there and their focus, like you said, it's never about the teachers. They, it's about your friends. And I feel like we get away with it lightly because we, we have uniforms in the UK for most schools. So therefore, they're not worried about what clothes to wear. But I think, actually, that depicts the dangers of not having a uniform. It just becomes a fashion show, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Anyone who ever complains about the cost of uniform, watch Clueless and think about how much (laughs) you'd have to spend on clothes if your children did not have uniforms. I know it's a pain in the backside when they grow out of it, but at the same time, at least they're not fighting over what designers they should and shouldn't be wearing. And I guess the other thing that we haven't touched on, which I think some of my favourite parts of this film are the bits concerned with driving... (laughs) And did you notice how Cher has her hands on the wheel? It's like not 10 2, it's like 12 12. Very limply holding onto the top of this wheel, like she's like a little rabbit or something. It's yep. so funny. But the scene on the freeway is what I always think about when I think about this film, where they're just screaming yeah. in panic because they're yeah. on the freeway. It's so and funny. And it's a boyfriend trying to teach her to drive, right? Yeah. And it's like classic, don't get involved. You can't teach your kids, you can't teach your siblings, you can't teach your, your partner, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I do. I really like their relationship actually Dion and her boyfriend. I think they seem like quite... As, and I think Cher, again, shows how perceptive she is when she says that she's noticed that, although they're bickle with each other, they're really sweet and considerate yeah, yeah. when they when think no one's, one's looking, looking yeah. right? Which I think is really true, actually. When you're that age, it's like you don't want to show people that you care about them especially yeah, if you're just going cool out it's not cool to be in love right but it's yeah. cool to have a boyfriend or a girlfriend exactly yes and they, they are quite a sweet portrayal I think but you're right if you think about it most of the actual teaching in this film that occurs is kids teaching each other about how to exist in the real world right the yeah. things they really value which is learning to drive on the freeway and learning how to be fashionable and those are the lessons that they really vividly remember 
rather than should we let Haitians into the United States indiscriminately. <laughs> do we have anything else to discuss with this film? Oh, do you know the character we actually haven't talked about is Christian. How do we feel about Christian? Christian's obviously introduced again as the new kid, but this time he doesn't need any guidance into how to be socially accepted. He's already very well dressed and Cher at one point describes him as better dressed than me. And mm-hmm. obviously knowing how highly Cher holds her own dress sense, mm-hmm. that's a massive compliment. She falls head over heels for him. She does all the moves. She drops a pencil. He picks it up says nice stems. He's quite interesting to me in that it's quite rare to get depictions of gay teenagers at this point in like popular American culture. Mm-hmm. It's a lot mm-hmm. more common now, I think. And it's something creators of stuff for teens think about a lot more, think about the diversity of the teens they're showing. But they're making very stereotypically gay, don't they? Like the signs are always there. How does Cher not see them? But he's also very specifically pretentious in that he's obsessed with like the 1950s and old films and Billie oh, Holiday. Yeah. And it makes me think of when you're a teenager sometimes and you make a decision, you're going to have a certain aesthetic and you make it your entire identity. So his whole aesthetic is he dresses like Cary Grant and he listens to Billie Holiday and jazz and he watches old films, Tony Curtis films. And so although you're right, there's definitely a lot of stereotyping in terms of his gayness. He's also like pretentious in a very specifically teenage way that felt very real to me when you decide Mm. this is now going to be my aesthetic and my thing and all my life is going to revolve around that Mm. and I'm going to dress like these old and in a way I guess it's like he's identified he doesn't really fit in in this world and so he's retreating back into the past where he feels like he's almost safer I guess Um, but I think he's quite interesting that way because it's a bit more nuanced and he's just like this flamboyant gay kid he's also an attractive character she's very attracted to him He's, he's kind of an intriguing character he's not just like this embarrassing gay kid that they will laugh at, you know? Mm. It's interesting. He never talks about his sexuality, right? So everyone else in the school seems to know actually never gets gay. confirmed, does it? No, so Dion's boyfriend, whose name I forget now, says, like, are you joking? He's very clearly gay. But if you think about it, on their date, he's openly flirting with that man and then asks if he can leave her to go with him. And then when he goes around to the date at her house and he realises she's just trying it on with him, he doesn't quite know how to say it to her, but he just leaves it. So he never leads her on. He's never pretending. He doesn't seem to be closeted. It, it, it's, you're right. It's kind of, there's something very unspoken about it. And actually, when she clicks, they just get on with their days and, and they are mm-hmm. really good friends. And I think, I don't know, I think there's something quite interesting about the fact that it is left unspoken. Because I guess the film can't operate on a sincere level. It's not a very sincere film, you know. It's mm-hmm. quite, it's a willfully silly film. And so this film doesn't really have a space room to really talk about his sexuality because that just doesn't fit in the tone of the film. And so it, I quite like the fact that he's just able to be who he is. Cher, Cher accepts him completely when she realises that he's not interested in her. They're still friends. There's no, like, hard feelings. And he's still able to exist as a character who seems quite self-confident and mm. doesn't really seem to have much hang-ups about who he is. He's just quite open about it. So there's quite, there's quite a lot to enjoy about that character, I think. Do we have any other thoughts about Clueless? No. Shall we give um, Mr. Hall and Miss Guy's a... Yeah, well, so we haven't really talked about Miss Guy's. The only thing we see is when Cher does say she notices how much she tries to get them involved. And I found this little moment so relatable where she's talking about the fictional Pismo Beach disaster, which I never realised there's no Pismo Beach disaster. They just made it up for the film. Um, but she's like, can you imagine what that must have felt like losing your possessions? Isn't it unbelievable? Or can you believe it? Or does anyone have anything to say about this? Ultimately, sound and it's just like, can I get a toilet pass, please? Yeah. Which, how many times you really think you're so impassioned? Yeah. You think, oh my God, the kids are so on side. They're going to feel so inspired by this. And all they want to say is, can I go to the toilet? Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely, 100% it has happened in the past. But 
this also shows Cher's development because initially she's bribing her teachers. She tells her, her sports teacher that she's got all these boy problems, so she'll give her an A. She does say to Miss Guys, I'm going to start an environmentalist project to get her A, to get her grade up. Mm. And then she does it. She does start mm. a project. She does run it. She does it quite successfully. And she implicitly is inspired by Miss Guys, I think, and how impassioned she is about mm. this particular thing. So based on the very small amount we see from Miss Guys, I think we could give her at least a good or an outstanding for that, right? Yeah, I think from... Obviously, it's a little snapshot. It's a bit of a learning walk as opposed to a full observation when it comes to both of these teachers. I would happily give Miss Guys the good. Mr. Hall's inadequate. Oh, requires improvement. Inadequate means there was no progress made whatsoever. I would agree with that, though, because he blocks her from making any progress. She gives a speech twice, doesn't she, in the baby? Mm. See her do it twice. And both times he gives her absolutely zero feedback, other than sneering. He literally sneers at her in the lesson okay. and then downgrades her. He doesn't seem to give any feedback whatsoever. He has very poor management in the classroom. He has a quite a negative learning atmosphere where he's very clearly judging the kids whilst giving them no advice on how to improve. Mm. So I, I genuinely would give him inadequate. Okay, so the reason why I did want to give him the requires improvement, I think he asks very rich questions that when they're engaged and if they engage, they can learn a lot from it and, and move in a way that makes them all-rounded students. I think he's not very good at engaging the whole class into it, but the core concept of his lessons... I quite liked. That's a good point. So I think the learning questions he had, so mm. there was the one about um, Haiti and then there was also one about violence in the media. Yeah. They're good topics. So the topics, I guess, were there. I do quite like the structure of go away, discuss this and come and present it. I didn't like the fact that they didn't have long enough to present something as deep as those two particular questions. And there's no probing. And there's Should no probing. Probed. There's yeah. no engagement. I would have encouraged the students to engage other students within their debates. and all. You know, there's, there's lots of things that I would have done differently. But the heart of his lesson, the intentions were good. I personally would give him a requires improvement. I, I'm happy to concede to that. So we're going to say Mr. Hall requires improvement and Miss Guys, we're going to say at least a good. Yeah. Thank you for listening to us today. Follow us on social media. We're on Twitter at Film Class Pod and also on Instagram on the same handle. Also, you can send us an email at filmclasspod at gmail.com. Send us over any comments, any suggestions. Thank you so much as well to Kevin McLeod for our music, Night in Venice. You can find all of Kevin's work at incompetech.filmmusic.io and the license is at Creative Commons. See you next week. See ya.